It's Monday, July 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. New numbers are in for President Trump, and he has hit the highest approval ratings for his presidency, according to a Washington Post-ABC News poll. While he continues to have strong numbers for his handling of the economy, a majority of people say that he continues to act unpresidential. Also developing over the weekend, Republican Representative Justin Amash leaves the party, and Nancy Pelosi spars with AOC. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to break it all down. Next, it was an elaborate sting operation that Amazon collaborated with the Colorado PD to catch porch pirates. But unfortunately, it accomplished nothing. The plan was simple enough. Load fake Amazon packages with GPS trackers and then catch thieves on Amazon-owned Ring doorbell camps. It was called Operation Grinch Grab and happened with no arrests. Caroline Haskins, writer for Motherboard at Vice.com, joins us for this failed op and also how Amazon's neighbor app is creating a digital ecosystem in which you are encouraged to think the worst about your neighbors. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I've had concerns with the Republican Party for several years. I've had concerns with the party system generally. When I first got to Congress, I thought I could change things from the inside. But as I've spent time there, I've seen that Uh, Not only me, I don't think there's anyone in there who can change the system. Um, It's pretty uh, rigid. It's top down. Uh, It comes down from leadership to the bottom. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Some new poll numbers came out. These are coming out of the Washington Post and ABC News. And aided by a strong economy and uh, perceptions that the president has dealt with it very effectively, the president's approval ratings have risen to the highest point of his presidency It's at 44% approval, 53% disapproval, and then among registered voters, that number is 47% approval and 50% disapprove. The other thing that happened, though, is that still people think that he is acting unpresidential. About 6 in 10 Americans say that he has acted in ways that are unpresidential. What's the more important number this, considering we're heading into this whole re-election effort, everything's getting ramped up. What's the most important number for this? I think the most important number to look at is his approval numbers. 50% disapproving or more than 50% disapproving of the work the president is doing is significant. These are pretty big numbers. Now, look, presidents have had numbers that high on their disapproval this far out from their reelection and still won. So we can't say that that number means that he's a goner in 2020, but it does show some unhappiness with him. And I think the thing that's important to note is you said driven by the economy, but he's got a really high disapproval despite having a great economy and despite people feeling economically secure. Yeah, the economy is the lone issue in this survey where the president enjoys positive numbers at 51% saying they approve of the way he's dealt with these issues. But everything else, even taxes, he's at 42%. Foreign policy, climate change, global warming, it's at 29%. Everything just goes way, way down. We know that his base is very supportive and sticks with him through thick and thin. Is this one issue enough to 
keep that momentum going for him. James Carville very famously said when President Clinton was running for re-election, it's the economy stupid. I think this could be the it's not the economy stupid election if it's just not enough to bring Donald Trump over the finish line. That is an important and significant number. And if people think that voting for a Democrat risks the economy and risks their economic security, that will considerably help President Trump get reelected. And really, we know that their strategy is going to be trying to stoke that exact fear, trying to make voters think that voting for a Democrat will hurt them personally in terms of their economic security. So he's really betting his whole reelection on those economic numbers and hoping that voters will overlook those really high number of people who said they think he's acting unpresidential to keep their own personal economic conditions secure. Former Vice President Joe Biden still maintains a huge lead, 53% to 43%. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, they're all kind of right there within a point or two or even tied with the president. So Joe Biden, really the only candidate who's ahead of the president at, at this time right now. The thing about President Trump and Joe Biden is that a matchup between the two of them would bring no surprises. They are candidates who the American public knows, they're familiar with, and they wouldn't have to learn much about these candidates. When it comes to the rest of them, even Bernie Sanders, who ran four years ago, the American public would still have a lot to learn about these candidates. And for that reason, I think you see a real potential for them to either maybe perform as well as Joe Biden or or maybe perform worse than Hillary Clinton did against Trump as the American people get to know the rest of the field. Also developing over the weekend were two instances of intra-party fighting, if you will. Representative Justin Amash is one of the only Republicans who have you know, argued that the president has engaged in impeachable conduct. He actually left the GOP. He's now declaring himself an independent. And on the Democratic side, Nancy Pelosi has been uh, fighting a little bit with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and a crew of other progressive congresswomen. She hit back at them for not voting with the border aid package that they just passed and kind of said, hey, you know, they have this whatever. But in the end, you know, and they have this whatever and they have their Twitter following. But in the end, they only had four votes, meaning they're not very influential as people think. And Ocasio-Cortez kind of hit back at that whole notion saying we're trying to shift public sentiment on this whole thing. Let's take them one at a time. Representative Amash, whose name is still rumored to be a potential libertarian presidential candidate next year. Their process starts much later than the Republicans or the Democrats do. Could mount a campaign against Trump. He's been a vocal critic of President Trump on Sunday. He got up on the Sunday morning shows and he said, look, Trump commands that people be loyal. And my obligation is not to be loyal to him. It's to be loyal to the Constitution. This is a, a rare case of a Republican. Republican willing to speak up, willing to say they don't like what President Trump is doing. And have no doubt, those of us in Washington hear this rumbling from Republicans in some quarters, and they just aren't willing to say it out loud. And that's exactly uh, what he said, too. He gets text messages and other messages saying, hey, thank you for doing this, but they won't say it publicly. That's right. We get the sense that there is a fear that there will be a political backlash, that the voters of their party are with Trump, and that if they don't get in line, he will sort of turn his supporters on them and run them out of public office. Their argument being that they can do more to counter sort of the parts of Trump's agenda they don't like by being in office than by being gone. But the criticism being that they're allowing a public opinion to shift, and they're allowing the American public to think that they all agree with, with all 
of the things that he says and does. On the Democratic side, I mean, just to wrap that up briefly, the progressive wing just wanted a little more certainties with where the money was going to go for in that border aid package. And they didn't get that in the final bill that was passed. And that's where the fighting started. And you're looking at Nancy Pelosi, who watched over the last eight years as Republicans fought with inside their party with John Boehner and Paul Ryan trying to handle a Tea Party faction. And really, we know Nancy Pelosi has tried to resolve to not have that happen inside her caucus with this progressive flank. Now, at this point, the progressive flank, as she points out, is quite smaller than the Tea Party was. She's tried to give them power in places that Republicans didn't give their conservative caucus. And she's been much more willing to be critical of them vocally than her Republican predecessors were. We're seeing all that play out in this little bit of infighting. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Neighbors as an app is set up to incentivize people to buy ring doorbell cameras. It's designed to sell people on a product, not to necessarily give people accurate information and an accurate sense of how their neighborhood is and what the atmosphere is and how it operates. Joining us now is Caroline Haskins, writer for Motherboard, which is Vice.com's tech website. We're going to be talking about Operation Grinch Grab. I love when uh, people give things (laughs) these silly names, but this is a story about how Amazon got together with Uh, Colorado PD, this was happened in December of last year, to set up an elaborate sting operation to catch some porch pirates. We've been seeing more and more news stories about this porch pirates, which are people who are stealing packages from people's doorsteps. Obviously, people get packages delivered from Amazon, other places as well. You leave it on the doorstep and then somebody sneaks in and, and takes it right off your doorstep. So Amazon wanted to get a nice PR thing going. They obviously own Ring, which is the doorbell camera. They got together with a GPS tracking company, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, and the Colorado PD to have some fake Amazon packages laced with GPS and hopefully you catch a porch pirate and you make an arrest and everybody has a good time. Unfortunately, nothing came of that. Tell us a little bit about this. The Aurora, Colorado Police Department reached out and they got in contact with Amazon and they had been working with 7P Solutions, which is a GPS company. And they set up these packages in several spots around the neighborhood in a couple different zip codes that had a known thing with porch pirates. And the idea is that they were going to catch people stealing these packages on camera with ring doorbell cameras. And some of these were ones that were given to the police department by Amazon, but they also reached out to the community and said, hey, if you have these doorbell cameras already, we can use footage from those as well. So the idea is that they would catch someone on camera and then track them, have this big story. But the story ended after the operation got set up because they were pretty disappointed that it resulted in zero arrests. And from the police department's perspective, obviously they want to appear as if they're addressing something that's a concern for the community. But I guess what's also interesting here is where 
Amazon and Ring get something out of this. So I talk about at the beginning of the article that for these companies, if you fear your neighbors, if you fear that they're going to steal packages, if there is this sense that porch pirates are everywhere and they're coming from your packages, that's good for their business. I mean, you're less likely to have this directed anger at Amazon and more likely to have this directed anger at the people around you. I remember hearing stories about this operation going on in Colorado. I remember saying, oh, they're putting GPS trackers on certain packages and things. And then the story kind of went nowhere. I never heard whatever happened to it. But you're right. I mean, you start hearing stories about people stealing packages. And myself, admittedly, I wanted to buy one of these ring cameras right away because I wanted if there's a potential to catch somebody. We've seen the videos already. The videos are perfect, crystal clear. You can see a lot of details a lot of times. And it's as simple as throwing it up on Facebook or some, or this neighbor's app that is run by Amazon and Ring and say, hey, help me find this person. And right away, a bunch of people can throw out suggestions. So it's totally legitimate. And Amazon and Ring do get something out of a, a successful operation like this. The idea is that if they caught somebody on camera, then people in the neighborhood would hear about it and be incentivized their products. So this goes beyond being just a typical police operation, at least in the sense that most people think about it. It was a very PR focused operation that had advertising built into the very structure of it. I mean, because these companies were communicating with the police department throughout the whole setup of this operation. 7P Solutions did like a briefing slash training thing on police officers before the operation happened. And they were coordinating how they were going to be phrasing PR releases. I mean, this was very constant, intimate communication throughout the operation. So it wasn't just as if these companies provided the materials and then said, do with it what you will. This was extremely coordinated with all parties working together at every stage. You guys at Motherboard got a bunch of different emails and correspondences going back and forth on how all of this was set up. Tell us how this thing operated did play out? How many packages did they have? How many cameras were involved? All that. The police department received 25 Amazon boxes and 15 doorbell cameras and 15 GPS trackers. They don't get into detail as to, because obviously there's a disparity between 25 and 15. We don't have a sense of whether there were a couple of select locations and they set up multiple boxes at those locations. That's possible. But in any event, that's what we know. And we know that it spanned across seven different zip codes within the Aurora, Colorado's municipal area. They were neighborhoods that had experienced some of these types of thefts because that was one of the things I was wondering. I was like, well, how do you pick them? You're trying to create a lightning in a bottle here uh, to a certain extent. It's at the mercy of these porch pirates, whether they're going to want to steal something or not. So it's tough to really get something like this to be successful. I think that there's this sense that especially through apps like Neighbors, which is Ring's neighborhood watch app, it's like free to download. There's this idea that porch pirates are a really big problem. And the app itself promotes that. I mean, if you download the app, you see anybody can post footage from their doorbell cameras or post out a crime happening in the area. And within a five-mile radius, I mean, at least around the device offices in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, almost all of the posts have to do with package theft. And so there's this idea that there's an epidemic. And I think especially when people talk about it and they're upset, there's this sense that it's an epidemic. And the police, when they set up this operation, were clearly expecting someone to take the bait. But I think we sort of have to think about where we're getting this information from and the fact that Neighbors as an app is set up 
to incentivize people to buy ring doorbell cameras. It's designed to sell people on a product, not to necessarily give people accurate information and an accurate sense of how their neighborhood is and what the atmosphere is and how it operates. Let's talk a little bit more about that Neighbors app. This is this uh, uh, Neighborhood Watch app. It's a social media crime reporting app that's owned by Amazon. And, you know, they've been having a little bit of problems. A lot of people are racially profiling people. The video on these things does look pretty good, but not always, depending on the time of day. So a lot of times it could lead to people suggesting a wrong suspect, things like that. Tell us how this has been playing out. Earlier this year, I monitored every single post that went on Neighbors in the around the vice offices in Williamsburg. So this included most of Brooklyn, parts of Queens, and parts of Manhattan. And a large, large majority of the people that you could see clearly on camera were people of color. And in the app, you don't just have to post footage and say, oh, this person is stealing a package. You can just say, this person was suspicious, could be walking by or say, walking up to a door and looking for address. There's lots of reasons that people look at a house or examine it for some particular reason. And they say, oh, they're being suspicious or people that are, say, working for Verizon or dropping off a package and they're deemed to be suspicious. And it became very obvious that the app has a major racial profiling problem. And its guidelines state that they encourage users to think before they post. But there's a sort of culture on the app to share everything that's happening for you with the idea that you're making everybody around you safer. But I think the thing to be asking yourself is, are you making everybody around you safer or are you sort of sponsoring this atmosphere of fear to fear your neighborhood and to fear the people that live in it and to determine who is a part of the neighborhood, who is a proper neighbor and who is suspicious. Each of these neighbors posts has a label, crime, safety, suspicious, Mm -hmm. stranger. Some of these things are very subjective. You know, if uh, you're in your house all the time and you really don't know your neighbors, maybe anybody can be a stranger at that point, even if the person lives two doors down from you and you never met them before. Suspicious, you know, I mean, that could be a ton of different things. I think there was uh, one of the examples you gave. It was a group of uh, kids that were going somewhere and people were labeling them a gang. I think they were just trying to get up to the roof or something and they were labeled as, as a gang. So a lot of this stuff is very subjective. And you see stuff like this all the time. I mean, these aren't isolated incidents. Frequently, you'll see young children on this app and sometimes they're walking by. Sometimes they'll do something petty, like steal something off the lawn. But there's just this reaction of rage because the app has fostered this atmosphere where any single minor thing that happens is worth talking about worth sharing and worth being upset about, worth being scared about. And, you know, we should think critically about that. It's interesting how much these apps and these cameras really can contribute to all of this. Amazon, for its part, has also been fostering more relationships with law enforcement. Obviously, we had this case with Operation Grinch Grab, but they've also been doing stuff with their promotion of their real-time facial recognition software. It's called Recognition with a K. It's relatively inexpensive. They've been working with certain law enforcement areas so that they can set this up, so they can do tests and see how well this stuff works. The appeal for Amazon is very clear in these cases. I mean, getting a contract with law enforcement is obviously great. And if the public knows about it to a certain degree, I mean, if there's this 
entire ecosystem of products that are sort of working together in different ways. If you have ring doorbell cameras, you have the Neighbors app, you have recognition in your neighborhood in a couple of cities around the U.S., then you really have this entire ecosystem that's between Amazon and law enforcement. And it's just important to think about Amazon's incentives as a private company and how that could not overlap exactly with the needs of, of a community because it's a corporation. It's not it's not a public body. Caroline Haskins, writer for Motherboard, which is Vice's tech website. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.